0: Welcome to Pottery Visited episode 46. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. And today we are covering chapter 9 of Prisoner Basketban, Grim Defeat.
1: Or, as we like to call it, Safety Second, Quidditch First.
0: This chapter really signified to me the lack of just safeguarding and safety in general at Hogwarts. Yeah, it's a death trap. So much negligent things happening in this chapter
1: (laughs) but it starts off so wholesome because everybody's having a slumber party a nice big student body wide slumber party in the great hall And I love that.
0: But the reason they're having a slumber party is because there's a potential serial killer in the castle with the students.
1: Eh, semantics, semantics. (laughs) It's a slumber party. It's gonna be so fun. A quick point is that I kind of love the Dumbledore. Makes the sleeping bags purple, and that he goes with sleeping bags. Like he's super magic. He could make comfortable bunk beds for everyone, but he's like, no, we're doing like the basement slumber party vibes. It's gonna be sleeping bags on the floor, and like I kind of respect it. <laughs> he just gives them a sleeping bags, no pillows or anything. Everyone gets a purple sleeping bag and a backache. <laughs> I also kind of find it reminds me of the thirty hour famine. I don't know if any of our listeners did that, but our school did like a fundraiser to raise money for food banks or something. I don't know. But what it was is you raised like money and then you didn't eat for 30 hours and we would do it at school and because 30 hours is like a whole day almost, it would be a big somber party in the gymnasium at our high school where everyone got together and didn't eat. And um, it was kind of that vibe where, like, you're all on the floor in sleeping bags. There's boys and girls, kids in, like, all the age groups of the school sleeping on the gym floor and uh, staying up late and playing Manhunt. And I feel like if Percy wasn't such a sucker for the rules, that's the kind of fun chicanery that these students would have gotten up to. Hogwarts Manhunt.
0: Yeah, Percy was uh, cracking down on the law. He got a little bit of power from Dumbledore and he went with it. He's just such a bore. (laughs) Ron and Hermione and Harry kind of go off on their own, and they're talking about Sirius Black and how he got in, and both Ron and Hermione kind of say that it's, it's such a coincidence that he just happened to attack on the day we weren't in the tower, and it's, I, it's just, it's too much of a coincidence.
1: Hermione's supposed to be the smart one, and she's like, yep, it's just on the off chance, like, they're, what, Christmas and and Halloween are like the only days a year where they're out that late and it just coincidentally happened to be the day he breaks into the tower like you would think the brain of the operation would be a little suspicious of like the chances just statistically like maybe he wanted to get in when no one was there because that to me is kind of the obvious answer
0: yeah Ron has a theory that like he's been on the run for so long that he's lost track of the days so he doesn't know what day it is which does kind of track because like we get that in Deathly Hollows* when they're all on the run but I just feel like this is a really kind of big foreshadowing hint that black's not what he seems and like yeah. this whole scenario is just like not what it seems
1: yeah i think it's pretty funny um absolutely killer ron line when they're trying to guess how serious got in and hermione thinks the ideas are dumb and she's like am i the only person who's read hogwarts a history and ron's like probably <laughs> so good such a good funny quip from ron which is kind of true and hilarious especially
0: because it becomes like a running joke in the series anytime ron and harry say something from ron is like you need to read hogwarts of history and like they're like why would we we
1: have you yeah It's just such a good, like, I can picture it in Rupert Grint's voice. Yeah. Also, a fun tidbit that I absolutely don't think I've picked up on before is they're talking about, like, which teachers are doing what, searching the school, keeping an eye on things. And they're like, yeah, we have to go find Filch and get him to restore the painting of the fat lady. And I'm like, I'm sorry. He's not using magic because Filch, as we know, cannot do magic. So, like, he's just a qualified medieval art. Like, he's a qualified art restorer. Like, okay, Filch. I'm impressed. We just, like, brush over that. That's a pretty valuable skill. Very impressive to be able to restore art, especially art that old, like, without magic, when you could probably do it with magic. And, like, on top of it, the painting was painted magically. It's a magic painting, and yet somehow Filch can restore it. I am so impressed.
0: Yeah, honestly, Dumbledore should be paying him more for all the things that he does. He's not just a caretaker, he also can restore art.
1: Yeah, and he hasn't murdered any of the students as far as we know, and <laughs> that's kind of impressive. That's true. Yeah, so Harry's kind of eavesdropping at like 3am
0: when Dumbledore and Snape and uh, are talking to Percy about like, how they couldn't find Sirius Black and everything. And Snape's trying it really hard to persuade Dumbledore that Lupin's involved without directly saying he's involved because he knows that Percy's listening. So he's like, "Ah, do you remember when I talked to you about at the beginning of the term about, you know, that thing at the beginning of
1: term? (laughs) Yeah, very vague. I mean, to be fair, though questioning Lupin's potential role in helping Sirius get in is just its just good investigating. Like, you're like, okay, this guy got in. What do we know about this guy? He has a history with Remus Lupin. They were friends. They were on the same side. And Remus has been at Hogwarts a long time as a student. He's back as a teacher. He probably knows a lot about the castle. He's a smart and clever guy. Like, just doing a good, proper investigation is the right thing to do, even if he ends up being cleared. Like, just suspect him. He's... You know, it's fair to question him and look into it. And also, I kind of feel like Dumbledore's really blinded by loyalty a lot of the time. And, like, because he thinks Lupin is a good guy and paints him in the paint of, like, good guy, hero side, no worries. It's kind of a good thing that Snape sees Lupin as the polar opposite. So he sees him as, like, untrustworthy and hates him because it balances out Dumbledore's bias. So somewhere in the middle is like the right amount of suspicion and the right amount of trust versus suspicion to have. And I feel like, even though Snape's still a jerk about it, in this circumstance, it's good that he is kind of removing the bias of hindsight of Lupin being a good guy and not involved at all.
0: I do think that Dumbledore and Voldemort are kind of the same where they just, they are trusting in the sense that they don't believe anyone would ever double-cross them because of who they are. Like, the reason Snape was such a good spy is because Voldemort would never have suspected that Snape would, like, be double-crossing him. And I feel like Dumbledore is kind of the same where he has people that, like, blindly worship him. And he's like, because he gave Lupin such a like, great like he basically gave him freedoms that no one else would he's like oh he owes me he'd never do anything bad but th- 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 the truth is that Remus hid some things that he did out of fear of Dumbledore finding out so
1: yeah everyone keeps secrets from Dumbledore if they can and it's fair because Dumbledore keeps secrets from everybody yeah,
0: Dumbledore keeps a lot of secrets <laughs> he's a secret keeper they found a new uh, portrait for Gryffindor Tower which happens to be Sir Cadogan, which is very chaotic all the chaos Apparently he changes the passwords twice a day into like really complicated ones and he tries to fight people instead of letting them in and it's
1: just chaos basically. It's a bad time for Gryffindor House. It's a bad time. I kind of feel like it's what would happen if Fred and George were portraits A little bit. Yeah. One of the other things I really enjoy is they give us a bunch of, like, stories of different theories, Harry and Ron and Hermione over here, about how Sirius got in. And one that is sort of presented as being the most outrageous is... Hannah Abbott future wife of Neville Longbottom being like you know I think Sirius Black might have turned into a shrub just like a flowering shrub and that's how he got in and like it's funny and ridiculous but like it is hands down the closest to being the accurate guess of what he did he did turn himself into something else using advanced transfiguration and use that to get by so like super duper close a little bit of
0: foreshadowing there
1: coming in strong Hannah Abbott great guess I love that for her why flowering shrub was the choice I don't know like I wish I got more details on like why specifically that.
0: Well I feel like Hannah's really into her biology, which is probably why her and Neville got on so well is that they just they're thinking about plants all the time.
1: So maybe there's a particular flowering shrub that there's a lot of at Hogwarts and maybe they walk around at night or something like they lift up their roots and walk around in the moonlight or something and she's like oh if they walk he could have walked in looking like one of those shrubs that walks around you know like I want I want more details on why flowering shrub is the choice.
0: Well Harry has noticed that ever since the series broke in, that the teachers and staff and everyone's kind of, like, paying a lot of attention to him. like More than usual. He usually gets a lot of attention because, again,
1: yeah. golden boy. But he can, he can tell they're following him around and stuff. Overly... Supervisory of his behaviors.
0: That's probably the like the one good thing they did do in this chapter for like safety precautions is actually you know checking on the kid that apparently this mass murderer is uh, hunting down.
1: Yeah, it's funny because like even Percy is doing it. Percy's <laughs> keeping a close eye on Harry too, and I wonder like if the teachers told him like, "Hey, keep an eye on Harry." Harry thinks maybe. It's because the Weasleys did. But I wonder how much the Weasleys would tell Percy. Like, they would just say, hey, you know, can you keep an eye on Harry this year? There's some stuff going on. And do you think Percy just accepted that as enough? And was like, absolutely. Great responsibility. I can handle this. I've got it. Or do you think they, like, told him the details? Like, I wonder if Percy has that inquiring, inquisitive mind to want to know the secrets. Or if he's just, like, happy to be given responsibility. I, mean, I
0: feel like if his dad told him, like, oh, keep an eye on Harry Harry, this term. if he, he, I feel like he would push for more answers. If his dad's giving him this important job, he would do it he'd probably want more information but like because he likes to know things but if he won't get it he's just like oh fine I'll watch Harry then because this is obviously an important job that my father entrusted to me because I am the responsible sibling
1: yeah and then finally after Harry being assumed to not know anything about Sirius's relationship with he Harry uh Minerva McGonagall the one true grown-up pulls him aside and talks to him about it and Harry's like yeah I know I was eavesdropping as I do and I already know but I wonder if Minerva decided it was time Harry knew it was safer for him to know and she thought he was being suspicious of how the teachers were treating him and she just like made that unilateral decision as a proper grown-up or if Dumbledore was like okay it's time for Harry to know so he can go get up to more mischief so give him some of the backstory <laughs> I like to think it was Minerva unilaterally being like I'm the only responsible adult it's time to yeah
0: I feel like she yeah, she, she just knows it makes sense because she knows Harry and the stuff he does at school. So she is like, you know what? Something's gonna happen if I don't step in here. Because I feel like Doubledore never wants Harry to know anything. So I can definitely see McGonagall being like, okay, for everyone's safety, I'm gonna let Harry know. So he'll be on his guard but Harry already knows because he's dropping (laughs) and then uh McGonagall wants Harry to like not practice Quidditch at night because his safety's at risk and he's like arguing with her being like but I need to practice because of the cup and McGonagall's like really torn between Harry's safety and like wanting to win the Quidditch cup because she's so competitive which
1: I love yeah it's safety first but after Quidditch so I guess it's it's uh safety second Quidditch first,
0: so they come to the re- to like kind of the compromise that Madam um, Hooch will supervise the Gryffindor practices, so Harry won't get murdered in the middle of it. Yeah,
1: which is <laughs> sure that'll that'll be that that'll be perfect. That's the solution. We'll have the Quidditch ref <laughs> keep an eye on, fight off evil and serial killers and stuff. I just think it's funny how like I don't think it even took too much convincing. Like Minerva's like, I don't want you out there at night. It's dangerous. And Harry's like, Counterpoint. Want to win Quidditch? And she's like accepted counterpoint you win (laughs) you're right correct never mind she's
0: like oh i want that cup
1: mcgonagall will do anything for (laughs) quidditch
0: she's all serious and all business but you mentioned quidditch and she's like it's like her inner competitive like personality comes out
1: a lot of people love quidditch and and are willing to die for you know their quidditch like oliver would but mcgonagall's next level because she's willing to let harry potter the chosen one the boy who lived die for quidditch The priorities have changed.
0: (laughs) So uh, we find out that Gryffindor has been trying to deal with Slytherin as the the team, but uh, Malfoy has been faking his arm injury the last two chapters. So um, they've gotten off, even though Harry and Wood both said that he's faking it. So now they're facing Hufflepuff, who is now being uh, captained by Cedric Diggory. So nice little name drop to a character that will play more
1: of a part next Next book. I think it's really funny. The girls are like, oh, Cedric Diggory. Oh, he's so tall. Oh, he's so handsome. And Fred's like, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Because Fred, I, I can just picture Fred and George. Like, they're popular guys. They're funny. Everyone likes them. And I'm like, listen, listen, listen. If we're going to be drooling over boys, it should be us. If that's not what's happening, we're putting the lid on this. Does not matter. How dare
0: you? That's kind of funny because uh, Fred and George are very confident, like, guys, and it's funny because, like, Cedric's always described as being, like, very generically handsome and stuff. We don't really find more about his personality till later on. But generally, he's just, like, this normal, handsome guy that all the girls kind of fallen over. And Fred and George are, like, they're more based on their personalities. and they're Absolutely, yeah. But we kind of get the hint that there are still teenage boys. And they have these three girls who they've, like, are on our team being like, hey, like, don't pay attention to him, pay attention
1: to us. Yeah, and I also think, like, Cedric's probably one of those guys who, like, He's nice, he's sweet, he's smart, but like he doesn't have like a huge and exciting personality. So I feel like he's like quiet handsome and the twins are like loud handsome, you know, in their minds at least.
0: And it's like you can't even like really hate him too, because he's he's just a nice guy. So the friends
1: are just like, ugh. Yeah. He's like he's like it's like he's like vanilla ice cream. It's good and you'll have it and it's enjoyable. But like the twins are like mint chocolate chip. It's exciting, you know? And they're like, ugh. That guy. Yeah, yeah, everybody likes him. We get it. But everybody likes him. Is there anything special about the... But uh, we kind of get the idea that the
0: weather is really bad. It's been raining like for days and it's storming. And Wood's kind of like, we got to prepare to play in this. I know in normal Quidditch... Like, you're supposed to play in it during any weather. Like, you can never cancel a Quidditch game. But, like, this is, like, a student league. So I feel like, yeah, in the pros, you're not going to cancel a game for some rain. But, like, these are children playing and also children going to watch the game. So I feel like for everyone's safety, it'd probably be better
1: to reschedule it. I mean, yeah, there's got to, even professional sporting events. Like, I'm sure they play football in the rain sometimes. I don't really know. I don't watch football. But, like, when there's huge weather incidences, like tornadoes, earthquakes, hurricanes, like, National Hockey League games will get canceled because of crazy weather. Like, it happens in professional sports leagues. So you got to think, like, Little League, school, collegiate is going to occasionally get canceled for circumstances outside of people's control. And I think really bad storm when there are kids that are like 13 out there and the darkness is maybe a reason worthy of canceling or postponing a game.
0: Yeah, it's just like I don't. Quidditch is supposed to be this like really like whimsical sport and it's different from normal sports because they play in any weather. And even if someone falls off their broom and dies, you still keep going until someone catches that snitch because that's the only way to stop the game. But I'm well, like if this isn't even like a professional or semi professional league, this is children playing. And it's not even even like it's like against other schools you know what i mean like come on yeah but this is like the one safety thing i'm just kind of like this could have all been avoided like i'm pretty sure it was thundering and like lightning when they were playing. Later on, and Harry fell off his broom, but like he was lucky he didn't get like hit by
1: lightning or something. Yeah, it also makes me wonder a little bit, like how does weather forecasting work in the wizarding world? Because like in the regular world, wizard weather forecast is science and it's not always spot on. But like in the magical world, you'd think there'd be options like psych, you know, future seeing divination experts try and tell you what the weather's going to be like so you can schedule your outdoor events. Or bare minimum, if you can't control weather in that way or predict weather in that way with magic, can't you just like do a big old magic bubble over the Quidditch pitch I mean I know Quidditch is supposed to be like you can go anywhere in the world while you're playing your game of Quidditch nothing's off limits but like at least put like a a relatively big bubble of no rain over like the grounds of Hogwarts doesn't seem impossible They do it with protective spells during the Battle of Hogwarts, so they could do it with just anti-rain spells during a Quidditch game, one would think.
0: Yeah, so it just kind of shows that safety's not a huge um, concern. Yeah, never has been, never will be. So I know we talk a bit about, like, Wood's getting pretty uh, fanatic about this Quidditch game, so Harry's, like, late to his next class because Wood's been talking to him about, um strategies in between lessons classic wood and harry finds out that professor lupin is not teaching dada this uh, class it's snape
1: i mean to be fair as someone who doesn't like james potter i can imagine the satisfaction Severus snape saw seeing james faced harry potter saunter into class five minutes late thinking he's gonna get away with everything and it's fine because it's good old buddy lupin you know what i mean and then being like him, and then seeing it in his face—the realization that he's not getting away with it this time—like I, I can feel that bit of spiteful joy for Snape. I can.
0: Like, what could possibly go wrong with teach, with uh, Snape teaching DADA? And. There's this way that he says this line. So Harry asks, like, "Why isn't Professor Lupin here?" And Snape says, "He says he's too ill to teach today." And I'm wondering, is he like implying that he isn't really ill in like the usual sense? Because he did, de- he would, he doesn't say like, "Oh, he's ill," or "He's sick," or "He's." He says he. It's like he says he's too ill, so he's implying that like, oh, this is what Lupin says, and Snape doesn't believe it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Snape knows that he's sick because Snape knows what he's sick with. We well, he definitely knows. But I mean, I think Snape is is definitely trying to make the students think that Lupin's kind of flaky or weak or has a sensitive immune system. Like he's trying to think, make Lupin look like a big baby who can't show up to class with a tummy ache sort of thing.
0: Well, it does kind of bring up my next point, which is uh, st- Did Snape agree to cover Lupin's class just to insult him to his students? Because that's
1: what he does. I mean, probably. So I'm giving him a Snape sucks point for that. I mean, like, you gotta think Dumbledore didn't choose Snape because he knows Snape loves Defense Against the Dark Arts and it would make Snape happy. That's not a priority for anyone. So you gotta think Snape got it. I could take that. And he is being snarky because he hates Lupin and this is his one opportunity to be a dick.
0: And every time someone defends Lupin, he gets even more mad because I think it starts off with him just complaining about Lupin's like how how they're really behind and then everyone's like oh Lupin's a great teacher like he's the best one we've ever had and he's just like he gets more and more like um mad and complains about Lupin's like marking style and
1: yeah the, and then he doesn't actually listen to them when they try and say what they have learned or teach them I do hate when supply teachers come in and don't teach you what you're learning they're like we're learning this instead and you're like um excuse me you're gonna confuse the hell out of us please continue the curriculum as we've been learning it thank you like that's annoying as heck.
0: Yeah, I'm someone that likes to know what I'm doing. And so if someone comes in and be like, instead of learning this, which you've been learning, we're going to learn something completely different.
1: Academic whiplash. Yeah, honestly. I do I do really love the, the irony and the absolute snark and spite and pure honesty that Snape has when he says, I never thought I would see a third year class that didn't recognize a werewolf when they saw one. And like, he's just talking about learning and how they haven't covered werewolves yet but 100% he's like your teacher's a werewolf you idiots you absolute imbeciles and it's so like such a good funny line from Snape like it's it's just it makes me really happy but on the topic of Snape making them cover werewolves I know he's doing it because he wants them to find out Lupin's a werewolf and get Lupin fired but also like it's kind of a good idea to teach them about werewolves if they're going to have one at the school. Because as we learn later on, like there is a risk to having a werewolf teaching at the school and knowing things about werewolves could benefit the students very much and is probably a good and like safety conscious thing to do given the circumstances. This school doesn't value safety. So like he did it to be a dick, but it's probably a good idea and makes sense in the long run and is like a smart choice.
0: I wanted to give uh, Snape a sex point for insulting Hermione in front of the whole class because she generally was just kind of like trying to tell him this is what we've been doing in class and she's the only one that would answer him and he doesn't obviously want her to to give the answer because just doesn't like her. I want to talk about Ron uh, defending Hermione because they have in the book where he calls her an insufferable know-it-all and all this stuff written in front of her and she's basically cr- tearing up and crying because it's embarrassing to like be called in front of a teacher especially when you're not doing anything wrong.
1: Especially when it's something you're already sensitive about like she kind of knows that that's a reputation she has. And
0: it has this funny passage where it's like Ron who calls her money and know-it-all like every day multiple times a day and he stood up for her being like hey she knows the answer and like why are you being such a dick?" and Ron gets attention for it. But I'm like, this is such a classic Ron moment where he's just like fiercely loyal and protective of his friends. And he's sticking it for Hermione, even though they're kind of at odds right now with the whole pet issue. And in the film, they have Ron say he has a point. Drives me
1: insane. They took such a good Ron moment, positive Ron moment, and they turned him in. He, they made they they added him on to the villain in that moment. You know what I mean? They, yeah. I don't know why they did that. I don't think.
0: It's like the beginning of how they take Ron's really great character moments and they just make him. Like, have little one liners that are f- uh, funny, but it's like Ron is more nuanced than just a little side character that's giving like comic relief. Like
1: He's way more than that. I agree. The, the only reason you do that, because like in other circumstances, they take smart Ron moments and give them to Hermione in the movie is because they want it to be obvious to children that Hermione's the smart one and therefore Ron has to be the goofy one. But like in this moment, it's not a smart thing Ron's doing that they're giving and they're not giving it to Hermione. So they're just taking Ron being nice and making Ron a jerk and I think they're playing it for a joke in the movie. They're like, people will laugh. And I don't like that sense of humor because it's just mean. Yeah. It's like they're gonna laugh at Hermione being sad because Ron decided to that he's doing it. And so when Ron does it, it's funny. And it's like, no, it's still mean if Ron does it, just as much as when Snape does it.
0: Yeah, they cheapened Ron's characters to just like little one-liners and like goofy kind of like comic relief moments. And he's so much more than that. And I love Rupert Grint so much and he does serious roles so I just feel like they could have given him so much more but they really wanted to elevate Hermione in the series and so Ron was just kind of like he suffered as a character because of how they
1: yeah and Rupert Grint could have totally played a lot of the moments they take away like I saw him in a cabinet of curiosities like a Netflix selection of short films that Guillermo del Toro made and like he was so good in it he was so serious and it was also kind of fantastical and like magical but like his character was so different and he played it so well, I could totally see him easily have been able to handle more serious round moments as an actor. Yeah,
0: it's such a shame, such a justice for Ron moment. I feel like we're gonna have a lot of those over. We've already kind of talked about this in the last like two books, but a lot of moments that Ron has really great content and he it, the movie just, just doesn't portray it accurately and drives me crazy. Yeah, so uh, Ron, so Snape sets an essay about how to recognize and kill werewolves, which seems like I hate when like teachers that are covering other classes like think they can assign homework and stuff. And I'm just like, Snape just assigning an essay for a class isn't his. It's like whatever. But I'm like, do wizards actually like kill werewolves in society? Because it seems like very much he's just like, we need to figure out that like, Lupin's a werewolf and we need to kill him. <laughs>
1: I think killing them, I mean, is like knowing how to stop. I mean, killing them kills them dead, but it's also a way to protect yourself from werewolves. Like, it's good for them to know that. But it does, seeing as how most werewolves are like, they're humans, they're wizards. Yeah. Who've been bitten. It does seem a bit extreme. Like, how to incapacitate werewolves might have been better. How to, but I don't know if that's something that's covered. Like, we don't really know how severe the stigma against werewolves is. Yeah. Like, if their classification under the law is different if you get bitten and become part, like, become a werewolf? Like, are you... Is it not murder to kill Lupin in the same way as it would be murder to kill some other dude? Yeah, cuz we know like Green Yeah, Fenrir
0: is like is really evil werewolf and like he is wanted for like arrest. So I feel like, like like he's still human. Like he's an evil guy, but like he's still part human. So I feel like you need to treat him as a human. It's almost kind of reminds me of like mental illnesses where you have like part like you're so you're out of control of like your mind and your body that like things that you do can't you can't really be put on you because because you're sick and it's kind of like they can't control it like Lupin can't control being a werewolf so
1: maybe there's a degree of like untreated werewolfness where you become completely unhinged and the wolf takes over and you're you're more wolf than man I don't I don't know enough backstory on how these wolves work but to me yeah killing the werewolf doesn't seem like something you should be learning in the essay because it doesn't seem like something you'd have to do a lot but maybe like Killing the werewolf, in order to kill it, you first have to understand ways to incapacitate and weaken it. And that knowledge will be valuable for these students. But after class, Harry and Hermione are
0: discussing why Snape has it out for Lupin. And I just think this is kind of foreshadowing because we know that there is a backstory and it's coming. So more is going to happen for that. And then Ron is really mad at uh... Snape for giving him detention and everything. So he says that he wished Sirius Black had uh, finished Snape off. And I just thought that was funny because of the just the backstory with uh, Sirius and Snape as well. Oh, right. Because Sirius did basically try and finish Snape off as a kid. So uh, and that was kind of funny. He did his absolute best early on. Also, there was this part where, um, going back to kind of our last episode with uh, the pet feud between Ron and Hermione... When Harry's leaving for him to get ready for his Quidditch game in, really early in the morning, he sees Crookshanks trying to sneak into the dorm while he's leaving. And I'm just wondering, like, why isn't Hermione having the cat locked in with, in her dormitory? Because when she got the cat, that's what she told Ron. Like, oh, don't worry. Like, he'll be in my dormitory and stabbers will be in yours.
1: They'll never see each other. Because Hermione is a negligent pet owner.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So basically, uh, it's more reasons where Hermione's not taking Ron's uh, complaints seriously. And she's just letting Crookshanks do whatever he wants. And
1: I also think like Crookshanks is a poorly trained pet. And there's probably lots of well-trained pets. And like, there's one door to the third year girl's dormitory. And so like, if the other third year girl's even if Hermione always locks the door, there's no way all the other third-year girls are always going to remember to lock or close the door. And, like, they might leave it open to purpose so, like, their pets can go out and hang out. Like, I'm assuming the pets don't sit around all day. Like, cats like to roam a little, and, like, some of the cats want to hang out with other cats, and so I feel like it's not a reasonable thing to say. Yeah, it's
0: just more the, the fact that she told Ron that he was going to be kept in the dormitory and he's not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I just think when you cohabitate with people, it, it's not fair to tell someone, oh, don't worry, he'll always be in there because you actually don't have control over that. You have like, what, one-fifth control over it if you're one of five girls living there? The Vardy or
0: Lavender could go out to get some water or something in the middle of the night and leave the door ajar and this will creep out or whatever but it's kind of showing that Hermione is just not taking this as seriously as she uh, said that she would so not cool bro and so we have the Quidditch game which is happening during a thunderstorm as we said which is crazy negligent not safe but you know Hogwarts and Harry's having trouble because it's raining so hard that his glasses are fogging up which is the worst experience if
1: anyone wears glasses and knows this yeah and I think it's kind of weird that like none of the older kids know any charms or anything to like keep Rain off them. Yeah, because Hermione
0: comes up during like a second half or timeout to, to show Harry like, oh, here's a here's a spell that will like repel the water from your glasses, and Woods just like super happy about it. But I'm like, shouldn't he or like the older kids know about this because? He's been on the team for, like, a long time, and I'm like... And he's supposed to be smart-ish, and it pertains to Quidditch.
1: You think Wood knows everything about Quidditch? If it benefits the team in any way in Quidditch, it's weird that Oliver Wood hasn't considered it before. It's such a, like, oh, don't forget Hermione's smart-knows-things moment, when it's kind of just like, yeah, but it's not like a look-how-smart-Hermione-is moment so much as a look-how-stupid-everyone-else-there-must-be moment. Yeah, because Wood's, like leaving
0: school this year, so he think he knows something. Yeah. He's seventeen years old. Even Fred and George and like the older like girl girl Quidditch players are all like around a couple years older than Harry, so like they should know, but I know it's up to Hermione to save the Quidditch team even though she hates Quidditch.
1: Ridiculous. Also I think it's funny that Oliver Wood is so happy Hermione does it. He looks like he could kiss her.
0: We have kind of the cliffhanger of this uh Quidditch game where Harry is trying to catch a snitch with Cedric and it's getting really close and he's almost there and then he feels something go wrong and he feels, which is he's feeling this to Dementors and he's hearing Lily's voice again but she's not just screaming. He hears her pleading for his life from Baltimore, which is very kind of eerie.
1: Traumatizing.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't even know what's going on. He doesn't realize that he's like still flying and stuff. He's just like, he's hearing this voice and he's feeling this terrible feeling from the Dementors and then he wakes up in the hospital.
1: <laughs> Classic Harry. Every Quidditch game ends with him in the hospital, it feels like.
0: Yeah. But it's actually very kind of, I feel like Harry didn't really see this, but like when he wakes up, everyone's looking at him like he's on his deathbed. Because thinking back to this, like they thought he died. Like he fell off his broom from across the air and was escorted into the castle on like a stretcher. And so he notices that Hermione's eyes are all bloodshot. Even Fred and George are, like, very,
1: very pale looking at him.
0: And everyone just looks very solemn.
1: Pale compared to their usual ginger pale complexion. Even paler.
0: Yeah. Like, even Fred and George are, like, kind of spooked. And so you know that's serious then. But, yeah, they thought he basically died. And the first thing he does is ask, who won the match?
1: Oliver would, if you were there, would, would respect the question. (laughs) <laughs> he'd be
0: so proud but meanwhile where's oliver he is in the showers drowning himself allegedly
1: <laughs> yeah i uh i honestly think that is the most professional athlete thing i've like and not not no i mean he's not literally drowning himself right George order just saying he's they're referring to how emotional he is and that he's probably still in the showers.
0: It reminds me of like boys in school when like we would play gym, like sports during gym class and they got so invested with it that if they lost, they'd be like crying or something.
1: Or so angry they were throwing things and you're like, ooh. And it's like, it's fifth grade gym class. It's not that deep. But it also low-key reminds me of like any post-game interview with a professional athlete after their team has lost where they're just like, it, it sounds like their whole life is a failure. They're like, you know, we didn't do it. We had to just get it done and we couldn't get it done. And I'm disappointed in myself and I'm disappointed in my teammates and I'm disappointed in my mother for having ever birthed me. <laughs> and I'm disappointed.
0: Yeah, pretty much. I do think we get some interesting hints at Cedric's character with this because uh, when they mentioned that like they lost because Cedric caught the snitch but he didn't realize Harry had like fallen off his broom and stuff and he wanted a rematch and he was asking for a rematch but because I guess it was technically not... like illegal or whatever because Harry fell off his broom that they counted it as a win but it kind of shows that Cedric is like a very good sportsman player and he wants things to be fair which is very much in his Hufflepuff traits so they value their fairness little foreshadowing hint to how him and Harry decide to share the Triwizard Cup and that ends up in his death
1: (laughs) yeah fun times yeah if it who would have thought being a fair sport is the character weakness <laughs>
0: we kind of end up the chapter with harry finding out that not only did he lose his first like the first quidditch game he's ever lost but also his broom got uh, smashed to pieces because it flew into the lumping willow so rest in peace nimbus 2000
1: in memoriam for the broomstick yeah he's upset and i get it because a it's the the broom has served him well he loved it it was kind of like a gift he's had it for every quidditch game he's played it's very like he's emotionally
0: yeah he it's like it's a sentimental it's not just a broom yeah
1: it's very sentimental to harry and so that's tough but also i kind of feel like knowing what happens broom-wise later in the book. It's weird that Harry didn't just, like, order a broomstick. Like, you have boatloads of money. Yeah, Harry, you are a rich bitch. Order a broom. Like, you're stupid rich. Just order a broomstick. And, like, to some extent... I know how superstitious a lot of athletes are. Like, oh no, this is my lucky stick. If I'm in overtime, I always have to use my overtime stick. And like so look, like I Sidney Crosby used the same jock strap for longer than any of us wanted to ever know. And uh so I get that as well. But like, Harry, be emotional about it, be sad about it. But like next day he should have been like, I'm still sad, but I'm ordering a broomstick.
0: Yeah, I feel like Harry like like, wishes and washes about it, because what's, like, here's, like, the broomstick catalog,
1: pick one, and Harry's, like, I don't know, I don't know, and what's, like, pick a broom, Harry. (laughs) Trying to imagine brooms being, like, a really expensive piece of sporting equipment. Like, I I don't know if they would be, like, an expensive piece of sporting equipment or, like, a car, because, like, it is a method of transportation, but, like, it's also small and wooden and you can't travel long distances on it and you can't bring luggage. So in my mind, it's got to be, like, a broom must be, like, the equivalent of, like, at most, in my mind, 10000 Canadian dollars, which is a lot of money for a 13-year-old to spend, but not so much when you realize he doesn't have a house, he doesn't pay rent, he doesn't have any bills or, like, personal expenses, and he has boatloads of money. Like, if I were 13 and I had boatloads of money, I would absolutely buy myself a expensive thing for the one sport i play especially with the pressure from oliver wood and everyone else like it can't be that hard you open the catalog you say which one is the best it's very expensive i'll buy it anyway or you be a little more sensible and you say which one is the best i'll buy the second best so i can feel like i was good with my money like not that hard harry
0: what says that what says he could even buy the same broom or something and harry's just like it will be the same yeah just buy another nimbus 2000 or whatever like calm down it's just kind of a plot hole because it's harry needs to put off buying a broom because sirius sends him a broom and it's it's this whole plot point in the fact that like oh the broom might be cursed and Hermione's a bad friend because she was worried about harry's safety and all this stuff
1: (laughs) yeah yeah we can't make Hermione look like an idiot for valuing safety if if harry makes a smart choice and buys himself a freaking broom
0: but uh, do you have any uh closing
1: remarks before we wrap up this chapter i love the amount of energy and effort and like value they put on sports it's so believable for someone who spent so much time working in an actual like the world of professional sports i'm like yeah no that checks out like I've seen so many athletes have horrible injuries and finish their shifts or play the rest of the game. And I'm like, that's the Hogwarts mentality when it comes to Quidditch. Like you could die, but try and die after the game, please. Thank you.
0: Yeah. My closing remarks are that Hogwarts does not value safety and we are not surprised because Dumbledore's the headmaster.
1: I got to know what their insurance premiums are like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Got to be high. All right. uh, Thanks for listening. Yeah. Remember to follow us on wherever you listen to your podcasts we're on spotify and apple podcasts by the way and if you want to follow us on social media we are at potter revisited and if you want to email us any theories or thoughts you had on today's episode or previous episodes you can email us at potter revisited podcast at gmail.com and we'll be back next time to discuss chapter 10 of prisoner of azkaban the marauder's map bye